You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, sometimes known as your joyologist. On this podcast, I love getting into conversations with people, learning about the journey of their lives, not just the shiny moments, but you know, trying to dig into the path they went on and showing that that usually comes with challenges, there's some change of directions. The hope in having these real conversations with people is to hopefully give yourself some compassion and also get out of your own way, that it's not too late for you, that perhaps, you know, things in your past were meant to be to teach you lessons, that, um, yeah, just claim your life, basically. On today's episode, I have Armando Lucas Correa. He is a Cuban writer, journalist, and editor. Uh, His first novel, The German Girl, which we didn't talk about at all, was an international bestseller that's been translated to 14 languages and published in more than 20 countries. And we didn't even talk about it at all. (laughs) That's because we were mostly talking about his life journey and how it related to what his most recent book is about, which is called In Search of Emma how we created our family. And I'm really honored that I got to talk to him. He's actually the editor-in-chief of People and Espanol. Um, He's like highly regarded way up there as a professional journalist. So it was an honor to talk to him. Please listen to his story and go check out his book and learn more about him. You can find a link to his website and more in the show notes. Oh, and of course, please hit subscribe if you haven't yet and leave a review. The reviews really help us. Um, So leave a review and you can even screenshot it and send the review to podcast at yourduologist.com and I will send you a little gift from my product line. Here we go. Okay. So I like starting with how did you grow up? What was life like for you growing up? Okay. I am Cuban and I grew up in Cuba uh, around women, strong women. My grandmother, my mother, my sister, my aunt, and my mother and my father, they get divorced when I was like a two and a half years old. And that was during the 60s. And my father thought that my mother has to stay taking care of the children. But my mother went to a, one of the best schools in, in Cuba, an American school, by the way, in Guantanamo. And she was the first of the class and she wanted to be uh, an engineer, a mechanical engineer. My mother is a little crazy. And then they got divorced. We moved to Havana. And I remember uh, being a child and my mother studying and doing all the draw. And, and you know, and, and she finished, she became five years later a, a, a mechanical engineering, a very successful one. She's 81 and still working in Miami. And, and then I think uh, part of the, the, the absence of my father in my life and being around all these strong women that, you know, I feel great admiration of, of them. Uh, I always wanted to be a dad. You know, that was part of my, my thing. Then I went to college. I studied journalism. Uh, my major was in dance and theater critic. And I started working with a magazine, a theater magazine in, in Havana. And then I, I was oh, so. Wait, wait. So yeah, I felt, before you go further, so you did. You stayed in Cuba. It sounded like your mom. Did she go to work in Miami, or she got offered, or did? Well, like, no, did you, yeah, yeah, we we grew up in Cuba. And, you grew and up in Cuba. Cuba. Okay, I thought. Yeah, and we left the country. I left the country. For, I was the first one in 1991. Okay, so you told you mother yeah, yeah, studied, exactly. moved to Havana, got yeah. it, and so then and well, and so let's go back too. So you yeah. When you were like in high school and then you're like entering about those years where you get to college, did you always like know, like, okay, I'm going to go to college? Were you like, did you know what you wanted to do with your life? Was there any pressure? And especially, I don't know what life is like growing up. Like you have like, oh, you need to get this type of job or, you know, was there any sort of like, oh, no, no. you're meant my, to do this? Yeah. My family, there were, you know, in my family, everybody goes to college and, you know, that's part of it. We don't have any other option. 
I you remember any my, other option. Yeah, it's like <laughs> my mother, yeah, my my sister, for example, she wanted to study psychology, but psychology is a very competitive uh, career in Havana. And then she became another kind of engineering that she hated, but she finished, and then she did a master in psychology. You know, this is the kind of family that we move on. But you know, there is no other option. You have to go to college. And then I was lucky. I, I was one of the best school in Cuba, and. And when in 1991, I was invited by the Pratt Institute for a conference, and then I stay. I get a, I get an offer to work for the Herald as, as a freelancer first. The Herald, the Nuevo Herald, is a Spanish edition of the Miami Herald in Miami. And six months later, I got an offer to be a reporter full time, and it was like going back to college again. Then in 1994, my mother left the country. It was very complicated. And then my sister with my nephew and the rest of the family, you know, it's like a regular Cuban story in Miami. <laughs> I am no exception on that. But I, I left the country with my partner. We met together when we finished college. We, are, we have been together for 30 years. For 30 years. 30 years. And then when... And in college, did you go... What did you... Did you When you were entering college, did you know what you, you wanted to be or like... Were you just like, okay, I go to college, but did you already know that you wanted to yeah, write? You know, uh, I, 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 I always was like, I, I, like a, a good reader. You know, I, I was reading all the time. I always said that I am a writer who reads. No, I am a reader who writes, you know. And then, uh, of course, I want to be a writer. And the opportunity was, you know, writing for a magazine. I took the theater and I, I, I wrote a play that won an award in Cuba, and then uh, I started like an editor in this theater magazine. I was a correspondent for another magazine in Spain, and then I, uh, you know, I met Gonzalo uh, in Cuba. You can come out like here, you know. It's, it, it remember during the seventies, all gay people went to concentration camp. Wow, in Cuba. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, no, I didn't know that because that's what I was wondering. I mean, even in the no, states, no, even, even the in the states in the seventies, there was more freedom, I'm sure, especially in certain areas. But still, that's not very. Yeah. I mean, even today, it's so much more, you know, talked about. And yes, marriage and this, but I'm sure even nowadays it can be challenging for people. So yeah, it what was that? You can be expelled from school, from college, for example. During my my the eighties, you know, when I went to college, and but you know, I have a, a a big family. We live in a close circle, and my relationship with Gonzalo was not open. You know, it was my friend. Like we have a lot of friends, no? that kind of. And then we left the country together, and we moved to Miami. And when we bought our first house, you know, in nineteen ninety three, with a big backyard. I said to him, uh, I think we're ready to have a child. And then he said, you are crazy. We're never going to be able to adopt a child. Uh, but, you know, he know, he knows me. You know, I always dreaming and and having projects. I love having projects and I'm fight for my projects. And and then I started sending letters to adoption agency in, in China, in Ukraine, in Latin America and Guatemala, I remember once, and then I realized that, you know, gay couples can adopt in Florida because of the law from 1977. And your partner, like when you said that, you know, back then, of course, we have this big backyard and he said, you're crazy. Was he of the mindset of like, had he maybe even not allowed himself to think about the possibility of having kids because of the way laws are and rules, you know, like, was he like, oh, yes, I want this, but we're not allowed, you know, like, wondering, like, yeah. I am, I am more aggressive with my dreams. He's, I, you know, because he's right now, he's an excellent father, you know, and, and I think he wanted to be a father too, but you know, he doesn't, he doesn't want to lose time in battles that he never going to win, you know, this is the kind of mentality. I, I, I like the battle, you know, I, go to the battle and I know I'm going to win and I'm going to win, you know? Yeah. I'm sort of more like your personality too. Like <laughs> yeah. we'll figure it out. No, <laughs> we don't have the money. You know, we're going to find the money. You know, that's, 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 
And and then we so he wanted kids. It was more just like, yeah, that's not a possibility for us because this is what the world says. Yeah. And he, he he came from a different family, like a very traditional, with mother and father living in the same apartment, the, his whole life in Cuba with three sisters. He was the only boy, a great father, a great mother. You know, completely different background. Yeah, uh, my my family maybe has another, you know, better economic status, but. Where everybody was divorced in my family. My grandmother was the first woman in Guantanamo to get divorced, you know, in the twenties or thirties. I don't know. You know, my family is crazy, but I love. I this. say they're crazy. They sound they're like they're a strong woman, you know, with many yeah, extraordinary, yeah. perhaps, maybe instead of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, strong will. In my dream was when I left Cuba. Uh, it was uh, moved to New York for me. You know. I started a new life. It was New York. It was not Miami. Miami was an opportunity, and it's a city that I love. We have an apartment there. We have all my family there. But New York it was the dream. And then I get an offer uh, for a new magazine that they were creating. It was called People in Español. No? And it was 1997. And I said, Gonzalo, okay, I got the senior writer position. We're going to move to New York. And we moved to New York. And it was like a signal, you know, the first week working there, we get the proof of the different magazine, no? all of the magazine of the company. One of them was People Magazine. And I read an article about a gay man who became a father via surrogacy with an egg donor. And I think he paid like $80,000. I said, well, I did my research. I called the agency. The agency told me, but how do you know? Because the article is going to be published in two weeks. It's annoying. Oh, right. It wasn't out yet. <laughs> and then, you know, I went to Gonzalo and said, we don't have the money. And we we just sold the house in Miami. We bought a new apartment in New York. We were moving, you know, decorating the apartment. He was working in the new kitchen and the bathroom. And I said, we're going to do it. And if we have to sell the apartment, we're going to sell the apartment. I remember that. And and then I started the process and and I you know I went to the most that's the, and that was a mistake. I was I, I was I called the biggest agency, surrogacy agency in California, in Beverly Hills, the most expensive one, thinking that this is the best way to go because most of the celebrity go there, you know? And and they they want ninety thousand dollar in front before signing the contract um, with the daily base. I didn't have the money. You don't have to put on sell my apartment. It, 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 it was crazy. And then uh, having a dinner with different friends because I'm going to sell the apartment. It wasn't the last dinner, the last supper in my apartment. And then I, someone said, oh, I have a friend who has happened the same with you in California. And he went to a small uh, agency in, in San Diego. I called him. And I follow all these steps to unknown people. You know, I, I didn't know him. Right? I didn't know him. And then I call this agency. I fly to San Diego in the next week. And I met the surrogate that was available. And she sent me an email. And I am very sensitive to words. And she said to me, I am a white woman married to a black a guy, man. I, we have a daughter. She's biracial. And I don't want her to be rejected because she's different. And I know how hard it's for you to get a surrogate mother working with a gay couple. And I never say no to a gay couple. We love her and she won our hearts. And that was in 1999. And we have had our daughter six years later, 2005. It was wow. a long journey with a lot of accidents, all the accidents possible we had. Okay, so let's go back to when you're in Miami with that first backyard. And then, yeah, you already like, no, okay, we're ready for a baby and start emailing all adoption agencies throughout all different countries. Did you get replies? Did people just not write back? Like, what do they say to you? you know, at the Did beginning, yeah, I emailed with all my information. You know, my journalists working for the Herald, they were, you know, then starting sending me pictures of kids, you know, and then so they when, do interact with you and oh, like yeah, tell lot, you, you know, until today I still receiving. I am in the mailing mailing list. I'm not receiving the from Ukraine mainly, 
But when I said that I, I was a gay couple, you know, they always said, some of them, they were nice. I, I, I remember the one from Guatemala said, okay, we can process a gay couple, but you can, you can apply by yourself and we don't care if you are gay or not. I say, I can't lie. Yeah, I, so for me, you know, having a child, and, and, and believe me, I, I have a couple of friends that they did it that way, but I can, you know, I can have my child lying, you know, and this is me, and you don't want me to have a child, you know, it's your problem, it's not my problem. You know? it was what do you think makes that, like, where they are even like, we understand you're a gay man, so here, just tell us that you're single and do the paperwork. Like, what? How does that make sense? To like, they follow, maybe it's the law. It's like in Florida, you know. In law. Florida, it's the law, you know. In Florida, you know, some of the social workers told me, you know, I visited them. I know they are gay. But, you know, if you apply the paper like you are single, we don't have any problem. The social worker told me that. You know, it's because of the law, and the law in Florida, for example, is 1977. And even if you are applying to have a child in China, uh, China is very conservative with the adoption process. They don't like girls, and they give you all the girls that you want. And But the problem, you have to follow the procedure from your state in the country where you live. If, if Florida is illegal, even Guatemala want to give Got you it. a child and you were approved by the country, you have to be approved by Florida. Florida would not yeah. let you legally adopt. As right now, you know, we have to tell to the audience that the same-sex couple now, you know, can, can now adopt uh, children in all 50 states. They can now. Well, they can now. But however, you know, there is still uh, some restriction on fostering children for same-sex couple in some states, yeah. But right now it's legal. If you are a gay couple, you can adopt a child. And do you know, like, how, like, were some of those states even, like, how recent? Oh, yeah. In, in Florida, it was 2011, for example. So just 10 years ago. So then, yeah, when you moved to New York, did New, did New York have that in same New York, Yeah, in, in New York, I, I did a story about it because I, I get traumatized about the adoption agencies. Even I have a friend that recommended some house in the Fifth Avenue that a millionaire donated a fortune to help families to adopt a kid from minorities community. No? And I said, maybe this is an possibility. But when I read the article and I when I know all the struggle for my, this couple, they were a, a, a heterosexual couple, but the struggle they are because they are invading your privacy, going to your house. And it's like a, a going to a test. It's, it's worse than a test, SAT, you know. It's like a, you have to prepare for tests and tests. Like, a, you know, you're a human being. You are a, pro, you know, you are a professional. What else do you need to know about you? You know, you know what I mean? For me, this, I, I, I didn't want to pass all this struggle. I prefer another kind of a struggle that is, is, is a strong, like, you know, the surrogacy and the lawyers and the uncertainty and the unknown because you are dealing with people that you don't know and you're writing checks for thousands of dollars that, to people that you don't know. And I'm talking about the 90s. We don't have the Google search. Some of the agencies, they don't have a website. Right. So when you found this woman in San Diego and you right away, she wrote that email and you felt... Yeah, we, yeah, we, we signed the contract with the agency. This is the first process. So it was through an agency. It was just you had direct contact. Exactly. With her. Yeah, yeah. Not always, always. <laughs> but you have to sign a contract. I, I, I you know, I, I even I'm telling this, but you know, I like to follow the rules and everything. I, I love to do it by the book. You know, I can, I can be against the law. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and also, who knows these days? With yes, if you try to like do something, then if you don't want your, like a, your child get taken away because, oh, there's some paperwork here or who knows what. And then I signed the contract with the agency. We have the, the surrogate. And then we have to go to another agency to find out, the, you know, the egg donor. Remember, oh, right. this is gestational uh, sur surrogacy, not traditional surrogacy. Traditional surrogacy, the woman is the, the, her and the egg donor at the same time. 
you are doing uh, through insemination, no in vitro. With my case, it's a woman who is a carrier only. And then an egg donor is going to give the DNA to my child. We're going to prepare the embryo and we're going to transfer the embryo to the to my surrogate. And where is there a reason you chose to do it oh, that yeah, it's way? Simple. It's simple, you know, because the child is biological and legally mine. The other way is the surrogate because she's giving the DNA to my child and mine and then she has to relinquish the, the, you know, the, the, you know, the control of the kid, and, right. and I have to adopt the kids, and I didn't want to do that. God, and then also because I'm sure there are yeah, stories, I, I they're probably you, rare, but I'm guessing stories where surrogates, because it is their own egg, then somehow yeah, become you know, connected it's throughout it's the pregnancy. It's easier, yeah, it's easier in a way because the possibilities is 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 bigger, you know, because insemination is easier than IVF. It's it's, it's simple. But at the same time, all the, the, the issues that we that, that has been during the years with surrogate and the law and the go to court is because, you know, this is the mother of the child. And, you're, you know, it, it's not the same. I know it sounds the same, but you are carrying a baby that is not your. You are yeah. have a husband, you have a child, and this child doesn't have anything from you. Even the blood, nothing is yours. So what happened without, you said it took like six years. Was it just sort of like, oh, then you had to find the egg? Well, and we, then- exactly. Then we have to find the egg donor. And remember, to prepare someone is a couple of months. They have to do a lot of tests and DNA tests and, you know, and prepare physically with the injection. And then uh, like a couple of days later, you have to prepare the surrogate. It's like, a, you know, having your period, having your, and then the story has to be ready in this rhythm. It's something like it's very precise, you know, it's complicated. And then we have the first uh, egg donor. We love the, the first egg donor because her grandmother, it was from the, she's uh, Irish, but for the, the, her grandmother from the father's side, it was from the same, same town in Spain, like my grandmother. I said, okay, this is what, this is the one. I always need the sign. And, and then we started the process six months later, uh, all the injection, all the payment, all the spending, you know, traveling this woman from, I don't know, Los Angeles to San Diego for the treatment. And then the day arrived to the donation and she only have two eggs. And for the process, you need at least 17 because, you know, the process you are, you are manipulating a lot. Some of them, they're going to die and they have to have more than two. But I remember that the doctor was testing me. I was in the subway and I was crying in front of everybody like a crazy guy in New York. And and he said, Armando, we have only 10% possibility that she can produce more eggs. Can you spend another $15,000 in injections? And I said, yes. And then the process, nothing worked with her. And then uh, we were crying the whole night, and the next morning I said, we need to find another one. We, we need to move on. I can't stay crying the whole week. I need a plan B. And my, my partner, you know, it takes more time to recuperate. For me, I need a plan B. And then we went to the agency, uh, starting a new process, the new interview with everybody to try to find and we find one, <laughs> and, you know, the, the one that we selected, the one is, you know, the, the egg donor for my kids. <laughs> I can say the country, she's for an, another country in Europe. You know, the egg donor, they are anonymous. You can't reveal their name or nothing. And she, she was 21 years old. She was studying in, in the famous university in California. And she wanted the money to go to La Sorbonne to study. And the only connection that we have, well, first of all, she donated like a year ago and it was positive. You know, they got a child. That's the good thing. She has eggs. Then that's the reason she's more expensive because she has more experience. And she loved one of the, my favorite Cuban painter that uh, during those years, she, she was having a big exhibition in the Whitney Museum in Manhattan. And I said, Gonzalo, 
this is the one. You know, like always. <laughs> you have to find something. <laughs> yeah. I, but we have another accident. And before starting the process, she got pregnant with his, her boyfriend. Oh, she got pregnant on her own. Yeah. And then we have to, uh, you know, like we cancel again. We wow. Have so, again. And did you, you, you stuck with her? Oh, yeah. And so, funny enough, so she then becomes pregnant. So then, yes, you have to wait for her to carry a child so then, and then know, be ready to. The good news is she lost the pregnancy immediately. But my doctor said, uh, I don't know if she was not married. She's a student. But she did not want the baby. Was okay. I was like, <laughs> I was like, she lost the, the pregnancy naturally, you know. Yeah. And then uh, the doctor said, no, let's find another one. But another one is another month or couple of months from approval. I have to write letters. They have to approve me. So we get the one gay couple. But then this woman sent me a beautiful letter. And I told you, if you write me a beautiful letter, <laughs> then she won me again. And I said, and I was lucky because I said, okay, I am, I can work with you. We can do it together, but I need to meet you in person. And that's never... You're supposed to be anonymous. They're supposed to be anonymous. And then she was scared. Well, you know, she's 21. And she was calling there. She said, oh, my God, this guy is crazy. I can do that. You think it's going to be a problem? Everybody said, no, you can do it. We know Armando. You can do it. And then we fly to uh, San Francisco. We invited her to our, our hotel to have breakfast. She was late. And then we spent like a three hours. And... And I almost cried when I saw her left, you know. Uh, for me, it was like a magic. I have this small, short video, like a couple of seconds. And she told me, you know, after the whole process, I gave her like a, a big catalog from the, the showing the, with the museum. And, and she told me, please, the only thing that I want to ask you is when the, the baby's born, send me a picture. Uh, of course, uh, among, when we had Emma, uh, I sent a picture and she, I, I, I keep those emails like uh, they're precious to me. No? And she said that uh, she has the same eyes. And secretly, and nobody in my family know her name or her social media handle, nothing. But uh, we follow each other. And the other day, she posted, before the pandemic, the other day, you know, the pandemic's like a not, not existing. No, I get it. I'll be like last year, and like, it's like last year didn't exist, but then it also, yes, last year was such a big year that existed at the same time. Like, <laughs> Yeah. But well, let's say three years ago, I saw a story from her, and I listened to her. She was talking, and I was trembling when I listened. It was the same voice of my daughter. Wow. It was impressive. Uh, you know, I didn't know how to say this story. I was doing everything to say this story because I want to keep the voice, that voice. Uh, and it was magical. Yeah. And she's a very interesting woman. You know, she's still single. I think so, you know. Well, I think it's special that, yeah, you can have that sort of from a distance relationship. Trisha here bringing you a brief interruption to remind you or share with you, if you didn't know, a few ways that besides this podcast that I love to support and empower you. One is my daily inspiration app. You can find it in the Google Play or the Apple App Store. It is called Own Your Awesome, and it's hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations. You can come to the app at any time and like pull a sort of digital card get a message. So many people tell me that it's a mind reader and they always get the card that they need. You can also just hit the show me a card button and have it pulled out randomly. You can swipe through it. The one I got just now is I am allowed to believe in myself. I am allowed to be proud of myself. It is my duty to shine. You can hit favorites and favorite it with the heart and come back to it. You can share it easily. You can go into where the three dotted lines are and hit the daily button, and then you choose a time to get notified every day to come and pull your card. I also have a product line. It's not huge, but I do have quite a variety, and it's pretty affordable. The cheapest items are magnets for $5. I got keychains. I got journals with my daily connection journal even, and then also blank lined journals. 
mugs. And my favorite products right now are the insulated mugs and tumblers. I don't have them in year round. I only get them in a couple times a year. So right now I got a new batch in for the holiday season. Go grab them, gift them. They are seriously so awesome. They keep hot drinks hot and cold drinks gold all day long. And they have amazing empowering phrases laser engraved in them. So they will never come off. They will never wash away. And lastly, I do offer one-on-one and group coaching. In January, I will be having a couple one-on-one spots open to work with me. And I'm also hoping to launch a group program again in the new year. I'm running one now and it's been so amazing. So feel free to DM me at underscore Trisha Huffman. Go to yourdryologist.com backslash coaching to see more of the options. A lot of people work with me for different reasons, but the main reason they do is because of the accountability that I offer. And it's not just like holding you to what you said you did, but actually helping you to get clear on what is this actually what I want? I am okay. I'm showing up for myself, whether that's like, I want to take better care of myself or I'm working on this major goal for myself. Um, And then making sure that throughout the process that you're showing up, making it doable for you, that it actually is still aligned with what you want and not just something you once wanted or you think you should be doing. So, so much love and support. Besides our one-hour calls, we are in text communication every single day. So it really is life-changing. All right, let's get back to the episode. What made you want to write this book in search of Emma and share the story. And I know this is also not your first book. No, it was, it, it was not easy. No, nothing in my life is easy. But I remember, I think it was in 2007, that an editor at Collins came to my office, uh, uh, people in Espanol, and I thought he was interested in publishing a book about legendary Hispanic celebrities. But he actually wanted to talk me into writing a book about how I had my daughter be a surrogacy. I was shocked. Oh, so that wasn't your idea. No, no, never. I, I, I usually don't speak or write about my personal life during those years. It took him a while to convince me, but I agreed to do it. And you know why? Because when I went over notes, I've I, been keeping throughout the process, I discovered that I had extensive records of conversation I had with my family over the years. Oh, and then, wow. And, and then, you know, what it was the problem? I am the face of this brand. And the audience, well, we have over 7 million readers in People in Espanol. is the number one Hispanic magazine here. But 78, 70%, they are Mexican. Most of them, they are uh, women. And most of them, they are conservative. Uh, all of them, they are Catholic. And I said, oh, my God, this is going to be a problem because I am the face of the brand every time that I'm promoting a, an event or something. Then I talked to my boss. She was my mentor at that moment, and she was the editor-in-chief of the whole company, uh, a very smart woman. And they said, Armando, you're going to do it. You know, uh, you are, you're going to see the reception is going to be positive. Uh, I am a woman. I am a mother. Uh and, and for me, see a man dedicated as a father to their children is something that i always going to celebrate. I don't care if you are gay or not gay. Because, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends that they get divorced and the father never appear again in the life of their children. And then I follow her advice. We published a book in Spanish first, and I did a, a, a huge, you know, promotion in in TV and national shows, I went with the survey in that during those years, she was pregnant with the twins and and she was right. You know, I received tons of letters saying that, you know, her husband left her, nobody, you know, nobody when I when they see a man taking care of a child, that was the dream for her husband and never did it. You know, it, it was always positive. Positive. And, and I know we are not a traditional family. And every time that I have to explain, this is not a traditional family. But if you go to my apartment, it's going to be like every apartment with uh, children. You know, a lot of ugly plastic toys, uh, dealing with uh, after school, uh, dealing with what is going to be the best high school for the twin, you know, preparing a, a piano classes, 
play dates. You know, it's like a regular family. We're not a traditional. Maybe someday we're going to be a traditional family. Well, I'm kind of yeah. rolling my eyes every time you say traditional family because I'm like, what is that even? You know, like, what does that have to be? What is a traditional family? So we imagine it as like, yes, mother, father, kids in the same household. But when I grew up, so many families were not happy. Like we were supposed to be in this. I have a big thing with should. I have a book come out next year called F the Shoulds Do the Once. I eliminated the word should from my life over 10 years ago and it was life changing. But a lot of it is like, right, so we should look like this. So we should stay in this marriage, even though we're not happy. We should buy this house and buy this car so it looks a certain way, even though we can't afford it. We should do this. So it's like, what is traditional? You know, like, what is that? Who can, what does that even mean? <laughs> it's like, you. What if, what if traditional was, you know, a family who it didn't even matter if they lived in the same house, but they loved and supported each other. You know, like I, I was never married and I have two kids and um, we were never married. So we didn't get divorced, but I say we transitioned our relationship this year, but we're still a family and we still do things as a family. We live in different houses. So it's like, what if a traditional family is just a family that shows up for each other and loves and supports each other, you know? It doesn't matter what your genders are, sexuality. (laughs) And so I'm sure you sharing that story, your story in the world, and especially these people are writing to you about how touched they are as you as a father, but I'm sure it's also opening people's eyes up who might still be like, no, men aren't supposed to be married. Like that there are still people out there that think that way. And perhaps a lot of them because of the way the religions have told them they should be or whatever. And so like by you sharing this story, it's like, hopefully it is also opening people's minds to why would I say that they can't have a child? Why? <laughs> is that, I mean, yeah, because what was what the initial fear is when, you know, it was sort of like, oh, is this going to like have backlash? Was it sort of like, I won't be accepted? I'm not ready to be judged? I don't, you know, like. Yeah, but, but, but I know I, that kind of person. And, and uh, uh, you know, I always think, and I think this is the way to survive in the society, you know, for many years. And I am a Cuban refugee. I, I am someone who has to start from zero. I survived a, a dictatorship in Cuba. I can't survive anything, you know, here. Nothing is here. It's easier. And, and for me, uh, you know, I am the editor-in-chief in this magazine. I remember when my... My boss, the, the, the woman that I mentioned before, she presented, she named me uh, editor-in-chief of the brand, and, and she organized a, a, a lunch with the editor of Time Magazine. You know, everybody came from Ivy League, you know. And she said, in the 91 years of the company, I was the first editor who graduated from a school outside the United States. And I, the first one who has an accent, but you know, my, my brand is successful and the first you know, my first issue was the best sell issue ever in the in the brand, you know. And she you know, I, I always said I don't have you know, has you been uh, ostracized because you are gay or that like you have been filled with racism because you are Hispanic here, or maybe maybe because you have an accent. I don't know. Maybe. But you know, that's not my problem. This is your problem. It's not my problem. I, I'm trying to do my best. You know, I I am workaholic. I work with the best team in the market, in our market, in my market, and I doing my best, even with my children. You have a problem that we have to. That is your problem. I am not a, any problem. I'm not worried about it. You know, and I know it's hard for the kids. And I remember when Emma was in kindergarten, and you know, we went over. Emma is going to be 16 in, in, in November. She's in junior high school. And she wants to go to medical school. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, we were in kindergarten. She was in kindergarten. We left her for the after-school piano classes at Gonzalo and I. And then a kid, a boy, said to her, you have to dance? Yes, she said. And they said, okay, then you are adopted? She said, no, I'm not adopted. And then they... You know, at night during dinner, say a, a boy said that I am adopted. You know, you are an adopted. You know your story. The next day, we went to the school to pick her up, 
and the teacher it was impressed with her because she's very shy. She never talked in classroom. And at the end of the class, at around 2 p.m., she decided to stand up and explain her story. And she said simple, you know, Papa, I am Papa, gave a warn, uh, you know, the egg donor, she said the name, put a, an egg, and the doctor with a spoon and then a plate, he, you know, he mix it and they create an embryo. And she said embryo. And they put three embryos in the belly of Mary. One of them is me. Then I am not adopted. You know, she explained that in the class. And, and, and before the pandemic, El, uh, we invited to our state house, you know, in the middle of the wood outside uh, Manhattan, uh, to a couple, a heterosexual couple with a boy the same age of the twins. And then when they left, Anna said to us, uh, the boy, and she said the name, said to me that she, he preferred to be dead instead of have two dads. And I, I once, you know, my partner is, he was screaming, he wants to call these people. <laughs> You know, they are really close friends. And Gonzalo, you, you know, they have to learn how to deal with that. You know, they are not, you know, they are, they are smart kids. And Anna, you have a problem? No, no. I said, well, that's your problem. It's not my problem, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, they, and, and I know there's always going to be something. I remember uh, flying with Emma in, in the first seat of American Airlines with this small baby, seven pounds. My, the whole flight with me and the, you know, the woman, how do you call it? My mind is the, the flight attendant came to me and said, oh my God, how someone can abandon a baby like that? So she thought that I was adopting uh, my daughter. No, like we never explained that, but we have a lot of anecdotes. Or sometimes she's crying in a flight. We fly a lot with the kids. I travel around the world. And then they came to, oh, my God, she, she's missing uh, her mommy. And, and when we applied to the Social Security in Miami, we went to this office in Calle Ocho with a lot of Cuban refugees, you know. It's a kind of a very busy place. And behind the glass, I presented the birth certificate of Emma. It said, a father, my name, mother, unknown. That's the, the rule, you know, the law in California. And then she said, no, you have to write the name of the mother. She doesn't have it. Everybody has a mother. And this is the first thing to say. With the speaker, she was screaming, hey, uh, you know, uh, she said, Steve, uh, we have a guy here who said that his daughter doesn't have a mother. And then they invite me to go inside. They called Washington. Washington. He said, if he has a real and valid birth certificate, he has the right to apply for birth, for a social security number. In California, it was different. You know, then we decided with the twin, we have to apply for the social security in California. Yeah, it's so interesting. And, you know, like that's so um, hard what the little boy said, or the boy, I don't know how old he was, said. And it's just, it's like painful to hear that, I'm sure, for you, but even for me. But it's like realizing, unfortunately, like, I think the more kids become exposed to like, again, like what's, it's not traditional, whatever. It's just as a family. It doesn't even mean anything that have come like, even just like my kids are young and they have been exposed to lots of things, but it still will even be like, you know, I, my friend, my daughter who's six the other day was like asking me about, Oh, your friend's brother's in town. Well, what does he look like? And she was just wondering to know that. And then I was saying, we look like, and I was like, and he's married to a man and whatever. And she was like married to a man, which she knows already. Like, and she acted like what, like whatever. And I was just like, no energy. And I was like, yeah, you know that. Like some men marry men and some women marry ma women. And her younger sister's four was like, yeah, Zia, you know that, that men. <laughs> but, you know, like, it's just like starting them young of like that, just, I think, exposing people to that. Because if you only see, again, this one way, then it is like that he said that he would rather. It's because we are taught, no, this is what, relationships are supposed to look like or love is supposed to look like or whatever. And it's like, what, by who? <laughs> no, this is, you know, it, I, I remember when I was, uh, you know, talking in Australia about my, my historical novel, you know, the German girl, the daughter's cell that is about the Holocaust and whatever. And uh, someone mentioned my book in Spanish because, you know, she's read it in Spanish. 
And she said that everything has a connection. And I didn't find the connection. And then she, uh, you know, teach me that, yes, there is a connection. And then since that day, I realized that I've been writing because of her. No, she was a critic, you know, that I, I was writing about the fear that we have for the other one. You know, the people who has a different skin color, a different uh, sexual orientation, they believe in different God, or they have an accent. You know, we're always afraid of the other one. And, and what is right, yeah. Do you feel like, yeah, so with that this, fear? This is not in my mind, you know, it, it, this is the result of, and, and it, it's, it's true, all my books has to be about that, you know, the three of them. About the fear of? Fear that we always are afraid of the people who are different. What do you think that is? Because, yeah, like I noticed that one of the biggest things that messes with us as humans is like this fear of being accepted or not being accepted. And so I wonder if it's like those tied together. I don't have that kind of fear. What? I don't have that. You don't have that kind of fear. That's great. (laughs) You are going to have the problem, not me. No, I am what I am. I can change, you know. I have an accent. I, I do my best, but you know, I have an accent. And and I am gay. I, I am can't be the, the other way. You know, one one times up to my, my Lucas, you know, my son, some a friend, a good friend. And it was I, I think it was not like a bad uh, thing when he said that because you know, we're very close and he said, Is your if your two dads are gay, are you gay? And he said, no, I am not gay. And then he asked me, you know, they say, uh, you know, my friend asked me that. He said, yeah, I answered the same, are you gay? He said, no, I am not gay. Then you're not gay. If I was wondering, like if you said, especially realized in all your books, you have that thing of like that people are afraid of, you know, what's different. Do you, do you have a, re- th- a think of like why? Like I said, I was saying, I was meaning like so often I think people are afraid that they won't be accepted. So maybe that's why then they project these judgments on other people where it's like they don't want to accept other people when they're really like not accepting themselves perhaps. Yeah, but I think it's more about the, the trauma and the crisis and the Holocaust, you know, when what happened with the German girls. Uh, these people, they were white. They were Jewish, but they were white because, you know, Jewish, German Jewish, they were blonde, blue eyes. There's no difference. And they, they thought they can survive the Nazis. And then the end, they were trash for them. And, and you know, it's, it's about the trauma more than the, you know, but I think all the books has this same thing. I think so, you know, because in, in search of my it's not because of me. It's because of the reality. And in, in some part, I said, okay, I know Emma, somebody's going to ask you about this, the other thing. You're going to find everything. And but you're going to know how to react. You're going to know how to defend yourself and, and be yourself. All right, well, yes, I would have loved to ask you more. I know we've got time here, but yeah, like what even intrigued you to write the the German girl and other yeah. books, <laughs> your other book. But um, so to wrap it up, I'll ask you the final question of the name of the podcast is Claim It, um, because I believe so often we can be chasing the things that we want to feel and that I feel we can intentionally claim. Like you can claim your worth, you can claim your success, you can claim your fulfilled right now. So what are you claiming for yourself? What I'm claiming for myself, I mean, you know, that's, that's a hard question. What I'm claiming is not to be accepted because you know that's not my, my, my problem. You know, I am what I am. But I think uh, I'm claiming that the people have to learn more about the differences of everybody. You know, I think... It's more about the rest of the world. And I think with, a, with this book, I help a little to this. And, I'm, and, and, and it's, this is my day by day, every time that I go to the school with the children. And they have to learn. Thanks God, I live in New York. That is a very diverse city. And I, I, I don't have that kind of problem because Emma went to private school at the beginning. And she's smart. She was accepted in all of them. And, and then she's always the only Hispanic one in the class. Always. Yeah. 
but I, 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 I'm, I'm not looking to be in, in, in a ghetto with all the Hispanic. I, you know, for me, we're living in New York, and this is a reality, and we're to, we're going to do our best. But I think I claim, like, if I claim something, it's open your mind. Yep. I'm with you on that. Thank you so much for sharing your story. This was the longest one for the whole day and I love it. I enjoy it. Yeah. I normally ask for, when I do these, otherwise ask for 90 minutes. um, But for um, when I book through like this PR firm, I'm like, okay, 45 is the least amount I can do. I'll let you do 45. (laughs) I really like getting into people's stories. I prefer a conversation. Yeah. And this was a conversation because with the other one is Q&A, Q&A, Q&A. It's like a talking points, you know. Yeah. And I don't like talking points at all. So I was like, we'll get to that. Well, yeah, your book will definitely come up. But like, I like it to be more natural. <laughs> enjoy it. I really enjoy it. Awesome. Thank you. Congratulations. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please go check out Armando's book, In Search of Emma. And then yeah, also look up The German Girl and his second novel is called The Daughter's Tale. So cool to be able to talk to him. You can find more about him and these books at armandolucascorea.com. I will have that link in the show notes. For all things me, yourdwellgist.com and trishahuffman.com. I'm at underscore Trisha Huffman and at yourdwellgist and at Claim It Podcast on social media. Trisha Huffman's my main account, but your Joyologist account is mostly for the product lines. Don't forget to go order some gifts in the product line, shop.yourdoutist.com. And the Claim It Podcast account is obviously just for this podcast. So again, thank you so much for listening. I love hearing from you. So feel free to DM me. Let me know what episodes you listen to. I love seeing you share the episodes. Um, subscribe, leave a review. I really love doing this podcast and those things help for, you know, getting the podcast become more discoverable for bringing on awesome sponsors. And I just love hearing what you have to say and why you're listening. If you're listening. All right. For the final thought of the day, what are you claiming right now? You know, it's like holiday season. Are you claiming joy? Are you claiming rest? Are you claiming ease? What are you claiming?